Good morning, Life Center. We're so glad you're joining us online because of inclement weather. We're not meeting in person, but we get to share service together uh, so we can worship and still stay connected in God no matter where we are. So um, this morning, you know, I want to share on this idea of the Holy Communion. Uh, at the end of last year, I was asking the Lord for a word for the beginning of the year, and I felt the Lord speak to me that this would be a year of communion. And, and for me personally, I'm asking the Lord for greater revelation as the months go by. And I want to invite us into uh, just a teaching on the idea of communion. We do it as it is our normal practice, but I want to draw our hearts my desire is that this morning we would, our hearts would draw closer to the Lord, maybe a little bit a depth of understanding of how beautiful and glorious and important this table is for us. So let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can gather even from our homes, that we are centered around who you are in our lives. And we worship you, God. We glorify you. We open our hearts and we pray that you would speak to us clearly this morning concerning this gift of this table that you have given us to participate in. We love you and we thank you for your presence here among us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when I think about uh, the communion table, because of my journeys and my travel, I've heard the, the name that this is, that, that's used to describe this table. In my own language, it's called Vishuddha Kurbana. And in another language, in Amharic, the Ethiopian language, it's called Kedusi Kurbani. And in Arabic, it's called Al-Kurban Al-Makdas. And if you pay attention to these phrases from different countries, there's one word in, that's common. It's the word Kurbana or Kurban. And this word means sacrifice. In all of the cultures, there's this clear understanding of the greatest sacrifice that Jesus paid with his own life to purchase redemption for us. And we are drawn into the fullness of that redemption at this table. And uh, in Greek, the literal translation is thea koinonia. Koinonia is, is a, another understanding. It's an invitation of mutual fellowship one to another. So we're not only coming to receive something, but there's an invitation for us as we receive this table of the Lord that we get to participate like him through this table, and we'll come to that towards the end of the message. And uh, right before the beginning of the year, Charles, in one of his messages, he said, he kind of was his de prophetic declaration that he felt that this year, 2022, will be a year of walking in the Spirit daily with the fullness of life and newness of the Spirit. And I feel our greater participation in the table of the Lord will release this new measure of the fullness of life in Christ, among us as a community. So this, this holy table that we have, this communion that we celebrate with him, what's amazing is that when, he, when Jesus instituted his commun this communion with his disciples at the, uh, what we know as the Last Supper, that was the last thing that he did with his disciples before the holy passage of time where he suffered, he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected into the newness of his glorious life, his resurrection life. But what he celebrated was not only before he died, but when he was resurrected, his first gathering with his disciples, he met them 
at this table and celebrated communion again. So he kind of bookends this holy passage of time before his death and after his resurrection with sharing this communion table with his disciples. There's something, there's a mystery in here, the invitation from the Lord to dig deeper and see what the Lord speaks to us. So over centuries, there's been a lot of debate around this table. Is it symbolic? Is it literal? You know, how do we, is it, is it mere symbols that point to a historic event that happened? Or this, there's this understanding of transubstantiation where people believe that this cup becomes the actual blood of Christ and the bread becomes the actual body and the flesh of Christ. And I feel there's, there's my own humble understanding in this is somewhere in between those two tensions. It cannot be a mere symbol and it cannot be because as I participated, it, it's still bread and it's still wine in my, to my taste. So it hasn't changed in its physical form. But here's what I believe in, in a simple understanding is that this bread and wine, when we bless it and when we lift it up to the Lord and when we give thanks just like he did, spiritually, this becomes the participation in his body and spiritually, a full immersion in his blood. Although it still tastes like bread and wine, spiritually, we bless it, and it transforms into this participation with his body and with his blood. And as I was meditating, when the Lord spoke to me that this would be a year of communion, I began to read and reread over the last couple of weeks this passage of where he instituted this supper, uh, this uh, table with his disciples, And one word gripped my heart, and it's the word often. It says, this do as often as you drink it or eat it, this do as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And I was just gripped by God. This is an invitation for us to celebrate and participate in this table often and not once in a while like we were used to celebrating. You know, before COVID, I think we had once once a month we used to even call it communion service where we celebrated communion together. But the Lord spoke to us um, in, in, the, in the middle of, uh, in the beginning of the pandemic in 22, in the, spring of, uh, in the spring of 2020, to celebrate communion every single week. And we've been, we've been doing that as our practice every single Sunday when we gather together. But I feel there's an even greater invitation, not just on Sundays. I want to encourage every family with your children, look for ways to participate in this meal together. It could be a simple interaction, but perhaps there's an invitation for us, even on a daily practice level. I know people celebrate this uh, on a daily basis. I'm asking the Lord for my own family. God, show us the way forward so that we can immerse ourselves as often as you do this in remembrance of him. You know, some of the, uh, some, the, the history behind this, you see the context in which Jesus was crucified is the same context in which he had presented the communion elements to his disciples. And it's the same context that crucified him that the early church began. This context in which he was persecuted, in which he was beaten, in which he was crucified, the same social, political environment, this environment is the same environment that the church was birthed and they began celebrating this, sometimes even out of fear of what is going on outside, but celebrated it many times in hiding from house to house to house. It's not 
by chance that we're all meeting at homes this morning. And this invitation on my heart has been, maybe there's an open door for us to celebrate this often in our homes. You see, it wasn't until the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD that the Christianity was, was, was even accepted by the Roman uh, Empire. And even by Constantine. And even 55 years after that is when the Roman Empire received and accepted um, uh, our faith, Christianity, as the official religion of the state. And that ended what was 300 years, 300 plus years of persecution. You see, there's a major difference, the major change that happened in church life at that point. What went from house to house, celebrating it. It says in the end of Acts chapter 2, that they, the disciples continued daily in one accord, in apostles' teachings, in, in fellowship, in, in having food, in simplicity of heart, and breaking bread from house to house. So that was the way of life. And when, when Christianity was accepted as a state, official state religion, cathedrals were built and magnificent churches were, were built. But for our understanding, it's one thing to share a meal in someone's home under the threat of persecution and quite another to participate in the pageantry of a sacred ceremony being held in a magnificent church. That's not wrong by any stretch of the imagination, but, but the intent and the desire of God, just like Jesus modeled it in the home, in the intimacy with his disciples before crucifixion and after resurrection there's an invitation for us as believers i feel it's a prophetic moment in time for us to restore this celebration in our homes around our table around the language and our conversation even around with our children a little bit of um even scriptural history we think you know when we think of communion with the first scene that we think of is that table that Jesus sat with his disciples, as we know, as the Last Supper. But this, these two elements, the bread and wine, make their, uh, what I've, what I, when I read scriptures, their cameo appearance throughout scriptures in significant moments of time. And most of those moments that we see bread and wine or a representation of it is when God makes a significant covenant on the earth. And the earliest representation, the earliest scene where we see the bread and wine mentioned in scriptures is when this mystical character of Melchizedek greets Abraham. In Genesis 14, 18, a few kings after war come to greet Abraham. That speaks of Abraham's status in that day. And one of those kings steps up, and here's what it says in Genesis 14, 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of, the, of God most high, and he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high. This is a profound interaction because the very next scene in the very next chapter, God himself makes covenant, his eternal covenant with Abraham, the inheritance and the promise that would last for centuries and generations, thousands of generations after that we are still coming under that blessing of Abraham. But it was this encounter with Melchizedek who brought out bread and wine to Abraham and blessed Abraham in this gift that set Abraham and prepared his heart to enter into this promised covenant with God in the next scene. How profound is this? That even in that moment, 
I feel, in my understanding and reading of scriptures, I feel like this mystical figure of Melchizedek, it was a pre-incarnate revelation of Christ. It says in Hebrews 7, 3 of Melchizedek that he was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually. How profound. It blows my mind to think about this, that God is about to make covenant with Abraham, but before he makes this eternal covenant, it was necessary that this mystical figure of the pre-incarnate person or maybe even a type of Christ appears to Abraham and gives him of all the things he could have given him as a king, he presents to him bread and wine and prepares Abraham's own life without even knowing it to enter into a deep eternal covenant with the Lord. Not only is this interaction the Bible's first mention in the the, the only mention of Melchizedek, but it's also the first time that a priest is mentioned in scriptures. And this is also the first time God's title of most high is used. How profound is this? That even before it says that he was crucified before the foundation of the world. It's, it's It's a timeline that we don't understand that God is his existence outside of time in eternity, and he's working his redemptive plan from the very beginning. Let's, let's continue to read this, this, this master plan of God. The second instance where we see the type of bread and wine used is in the Ark of the Covenant. This is where God's presence was known to Israel as a whole nation. If they had the presence of God, they won every battle. If they had the presence of God, there was blessing and prosperity in the land. This ark was a center of all of their devotion, all of their worship, all of their priesthood centered around this box that was called the Ark of the Covenant. Within the ark, there were several elements, one of which was called what we know as manna or bread from heaven. And right above it on the mercy seat is where they sprinkled blood. So this holy place of the presence, the manifest presence of God, again, where he met with us, with, with Israel as a nation, we see the representation of the blood sprinkled on top of the mercy seat and within it was hidden the bread from heaven. And another moment in scriptures is where a significant moment, I believe, is when God appoints the very first king to the nation of Israel. And God speaks to Samuel, who was a prophet of the, of, of the land at that time. And he speaks to him and identifies Saul to be the very first king. And Samuel comes to Saul. We know this story. He anoints him with oil and then he gives him instruction. Now he's being anointed by the prophet to be the first king of Israel. But then he says, now Saul, I want you to go up this mountain. And when you go up this mountain, you will be greeted by three men. Again, very, very mystical in its in it's symbolic in that way in representation of a Trinitarian, perhaps a Trinitarian expression. You'll be greeted by three men and they will be, one of them will be carrying of all the things in the world you could think of. One of them will be carrying bread. Another one will be carrying a skin of wine. 
And the third one will be carrying a young goat or a lamb for sacrifice. Isn't this profound? As God is establishing the first king of Israel, again, we see this, this revealing of bread and wine being as part of the transaction. And bread was actually given to Saul. And right after that, he comes and, meet, and meets with a band of prophets, it says, and there he was turned into another man. His heart was transformed. After this encounter with these, these elements, he comes into his fullness, and he comes into this revelation of his own call to be the first king of Israel. Woo, I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I'm excited seeing the trace and the purpose of God, the intent of God revealed throughout these significant covenant moments with man. And if we, if we backtrack just a little bit, during Exodus, the Exodus Passover, when God is redeeming the whole nation of Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt, and we know this story really well, it says the instruction for them for the angel of death to pass over their house so that in the morning they can be redeemed and be set free as a nation so that they could worship God. Here was the instruction. They had to find, you know, we, you know the whole story, an unblemished lamb and sacrifice it and use some of the blood of that lamb and mark the outside of their homes around the door frames that the angel of death would see this, 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 the blood around the door and would pass over them and their firstborn wouldn't be killed. Not only that, part of the instruction was the blood. The other instruction was to, was to, to create unleavened bread. And they ate this unleavened bread in haste because they were about to go into this redemptive journey with God, leading them. Not only that, this is a hidden, this is, this is one element in the story that's not often talked about. Part of the instruction was the, blood, was the blood around the doorpost. Part of the instruction was to make bread, unleavened bread, matzah today that we, we eat. Um, and the third instruction was to eat the flesh, literally says to eat the flesh of the lamb. You see, when Jesus sat with his disciples on this very celebration of Passover, and he was trying to describe to them that you do not have part in me unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. It was a difficult saying because they're looking at him face to face, but he was referring to something they had known all along that they, in order to come into this redemptive journey out of bondage, out of Egypt, they, they had to know the power of the blood of the lamb. They had to know the power of the bread that was formed and they ate in haste, but they also had to participate in the eating of the flesh of this lamb before they set out, out of Egypt. How profound is this? In verse uh, Exodus 12, seven and eight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night roasted in fire. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And at the story in the time of Jesus, when he sits with them with Passover, he tries to describe to them. They get it in part, but it's still a very difficult saying. Now, if we fast forward just a little bit at the end of that whole holy passage of time, now Jesus has resurrected from the grave. Now in his glorious form as a resurrected Christ, he begins to walk on this, in this famous 
pathway and two disciples join him and they begin to have conversation one to another until they come to where these disciples were staying and Jesus on purpose pretends to walk, continue walking on when they stood by the door of their house until they cried out and told him, Jesus, come abide. They didn't know it was Jesus. They said, abide, come abide with us. There was an invitation now on the other side of resurrection for this glorious person of Christ to come into their home. Luke 24, 28 to 29. Then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is now evening. And he went in to stay with them. Continuing to read in verse 30 and 31. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And in this moment, their eyes, it says, their eyes were opened and they knew him. And then, I love it, it says, and he vanished from their sight. I love that, that kind of interaction where Jesus continually keeps them guessing. But how profound is this that the first invitation to Jesus is for him to come into their home so that they can celebrate this communion. And when he lifts the bread and lifts the cup and gives thanks and blesses it and he breaks this bread, their eyes were open to understand this is Christ, the risen Christ in their midst. There's power in this bread. There's power in this cup that we get to participate in. It is not merely symbolic. It has the power to unveil, take all the veils and all the scales and all, all of that out of our hearts so we can see him clearer more and more day after day. Thank you, Lord. Luke 24, 33 to 35. So they rose up that very hour after this interaction and Jesus disappears, it says they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11, those who were with them, gathered together. And they told, they wanted to tell what had just happened. This profound exchange that, they, that Christ appeared to them. The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, how Jesus was expounding revelatory scriptures to them, to, to which they said, weren't our hearts burning within us when he was talking? That We didn't know it was him, but our hearts were responding to him. They told him about the things that happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Not only did they encounter him, now they're retelling of the story. Their, re, their, their account of, of the resurrected Christ is that he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This is an invitation for us for this year. I feel this year of communion is that he, I pray that he would be known. The resurrected Christ would be known to us in the breaking. He would be known to us in the thanksgiving. He would be known to us and through us as we gather continually day after day, week after week around this holy table of the Lord. Hallelujah. And I was, I was meditating on this for my own self, my, personally for me, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. God, how can I, how can I participate in this interaction, in this koinonia, in this fellowship, in this covenant, in this great sacrifice in a continual, in an often manner. And I began to understand that he talks about this bread being his body. And in scriptures, 
1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17, it says, Is this not the cup of blessing which we bless, a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of one bread. In essence, to say that as we participate in this bread, we who are many now in this participation become the body of Christ. Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. But then it, it's profound that he doesn't leave us there. He invites us into full participation with him by calling now, calling us to be his body. Not only was that he was the, his own body was broken for us that we may be made whole. Now, as we participate, we're not merely participants, but we are immersing ourselves in the reality and in the power of the bread of the body and the blood of Christ that he calls us now to be his body. Thank you, Lord. We get to commune with him, representing as we celebrate this. We don't take the place of this great sacrifice, but we become as he is, so are we in this world. So are we in this cosmos. There's an invitation for us to be the body of Christ that is broken for a world that is in need. The invitation for us this morning is that this becomes our daily practice because there's gonna be greater need in the days to come where we will need to be representing his body in the full measure imaginable. Thank you, Lord. He became flesh. It says of him, the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and lived among us. We are called to be like him to become manifest his body on the earth through our lives for many that need the same broken body invitation into eternal life and salvation. 2 Corinthians 2.14, I love this passage. I love this passage. It says, now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. How profound is this invitation that he, his own essence, you know, when you talk about fragrance, it's if you use cologne and women use perfume, you know, it's, it's, it, it enhances who you are. I love a good, I love my D&G that I've been using for 25 years. I love it. You know, there's a little bit of identity now, personally, for me in it. But fragrance often goes before you. You can, I can smell somebody who uses specific fragrance. I can smell them before they even, I, before I even see them. And sometimes after a person leaves, you can still smell like the lingering perfume and lingering cologne. You know that, hey, this person was here. Jesus here is inviting us to be. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are, what's God's perspective of us? What does God think of us? How does he perceive us? We are to God 
the fragrance of Christ. I can't even begin. I need 10 years to meditate on that single line. We are to God the fragrance of Christ. I am undone with this, even trying to understand this invitation among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So as we participate in the Lord's table, it's not only an invitation to the table, but to become that very representation of the broken body of Christ to everybody around us. You see, this understanding will flip the narrative of the brokenness of our own lives. It will give meaning to every place of grief. It will give meaning to your life where there has been loss, where you've lost a dear one. And you're trying, there, there are no answers that can suffice. There are no answers that can meet that question of that loss and that pain and that grief. If you are, if you've lost a dear one in recent past, sometimes it's lifelong, that, that question and that pain and that gap remains with you. I want you to understand that through that loss, through that pain, through that grief, Christ, and his fragrance wants to be manifest through our lives. We, are, we, we participate in the eternal reality through some of that grief and loss when we understand that we become part of that body expression to people around you. This is my desire to grow in the fragrance of Christ. How profound, how profound. Any pain in our lives, pain of relationship, broken relationship, this invitation flips the script of that brokenness. If, a, if one of your children are, have, are walking away from the Lord and you're, you think it's a loss, you think all is lost. In God, nothing is lost. This table and us becoming that expression of his body, it flips a script on that loss. And we know in that brokenness, in that area of that brokenness of our lives, Christ wants to reveal himself and his fragrance to be known all around you. It flips the script on brokenness. I want to share a couple of testimonies to lead us um, into, the, into the Lord's table as we close. A good friend of mine, Sam McElwee, shared with, uh, with me last week of a testimony. <clears throat> and uh, I just want to set the context a little bit for their story. Uh, when Chris, Sam and Christy were first newly married, they both battled cancer. And they weren't able to have, conceive and have a child for many years. And the Lord blessed them and gave them a son years later. And uh, his name is Josiah. And so just last week, Sam came to me and shared this. So that's a context. He came and shared this story with me. He was at a Christmas party in Chicago for his work um, about 10 days ago. And he was with one of the VP of the company, whom he's known for quite some time and he has some favor through friendship with him and all. And, you know, just a normal interaction. You know, when you meet somebody, you haven't seen them for a long time. They work in another state and you're showing, you have the, you know, pictures of your family. Hey, how are you doing? How's your family? Oh, I got to show you this picture of my family. And Sam just casually in normal conversation shows a picture. Oh, he said, my family is doing well. I got, you know, my, and he shows him a picture of him and his son. I have this picture right, right behind me. And that's Josiah and that's Sam. And this is a very picture that he showed his VP. Sam doesn't know that God is setting up something here. 
He shares this picture, and all of a sudden, the VP, VP starts to, to cry. Tears fill up in his eyes, and Sam's wondering what happened, and he begins to share. The VP says that he and his dad, who recently passed away, his dad was 92 years old, he said he and his dad were best friends growing up. And he has the best and the fondest memories of his dad. And when his dad passed away, he was strong for his whole family. And he helped the whole family during the, during the funeral ceremony and everything like that. But he hasn't been able to grieve his dad. So when, when Sam shows the picture of his family, this is the phrase Sam tells him. He said, man, that boy sure loves his daddy. This is verbatim quoted by Sam to me. That boy sure loves his daddy. That is a phrase that broke his heart and he began to weep for his own father, the loss of his father that he wasn't able to grieve until this moment. Tears streaming down his face and Sam just recognized the opportunity and begins to encourage him that he loved his dad well and he fulfilled that relationship to its best of his capacity. Just began to pray over him. Everything that Sam's saying, he's just now just bawling, like sobbing in front of him and he begins to minister to him. This is the revelation of the fragrance of Christ. You see, the context for Sam is that for years, he wasn't, they weren't able to have their own son, but God blessed them in the right time and gave them the son, Josiah. And in a casual conversation, shows a picture and says, man, my boy sure loves his daddy. And God uses that to minister healing to one of his VPs. Isn't that amazing? That we get to become the fragrance to God. We are the fragrance of Christ to all those are around us. We don't even have to plan it. We don't have to even have to figure it out. We just continue experiencing the reality of this table and understanding that not only that we do that at the table, that we become the body that's broken for fresh bread and, and life that is in the blood for those that are around us. Thank you, Lord. I want to share one more testimony. This is a personal testimony that I haven't shared here with our community till now. This year, uh, last year in the summer, because of a broken relationship. Now, this is a, a, a family member and a covenant brother of mine that, that I couldn't imagine being, being in, in a broken relationship with him. But due to quite a few circumstances that led to this, that there was a severe breakage in this relationship with a, with a group of us. And that pain and that grief of this breaking of this really, really sweet, that I cherish so much, breaking of this relationship, there was a lot of stress on, uh, for me personally. You know, I'm, 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 I'm built in such a way that mentally, I can handle it. I can handle stress. I can handle situations. Spiritually, I can handle stuff. You know, emotionally, I can handle quite a few things. But this was my first experience that because of stress, and I'm, I'm able to handle stress quite a bit, thankfully. But this was my first time that that kind of stress led me. And one morning I woke up and I had, I had Bell's palsy. Bell's palsy is similar to a stroke in its first symptoms. So I thought I had a stroke because my face was drooping. I couldn't speak properly out of one side of my face. Bell's palsy is different from stroke in that the nerve that comes into your face, you know, right around here splits into three major nerves that control the eyes and the cheeks and your mouth. And that's what gets the stress causes dormant viruses to be active and, 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 uh, and, and inhibits 
the, the, um, the signals from that nerve and all of your facial uh, muscles completely go dead. So a little bit of a panic because I didn't understand it was Bell's palsy. I thought it was maybe a stroke, you know, and, and um, for the first time I understood that stress in my life, if I wouldn't mitigate it, that it can actually physically affect me in that way. And uh, many people at church didn't know that I, that many of you didn't know that I, I had it because the week that I got Bell's palsy, completely my, one side of my face shut down. That weekend, I was scheduled to preach at a church in, uh, in Allentown. And I asked the Lord, I was like, should I go or should I not go? I called the pastor and I told him, pastor, I have this thing. One side of my face is not working. I have a patch on my right eye because I couldn't blink. My, my eyelids wouldn't shut and my eyes would go dry, you know. And, uh, and I said, I can't speak properly. My speech is slurred. Um, so if you want to reschedule my speaking engagement, I'd be happy to do that. But if you don't, if you want me, I'd still be faithful to come. He said, oh, don't worry about it. Come, we'd love to have you. We don't mind. You know, we'll pray for you and everything. So I'm like, I prayed and I talked to my wife, Sarah. She said, be faithful. If you feel, go for it. I trust you. So I put an eye patch on. I got my best jack suit jacket on and I showed up at the church. And when the pastor looked at me, he, he goes, whoa. <laughs> he didn't realize that what I was telling him was literally true, that I looked kind of deformed. So this is a picture of me preaching with Bell's palsy that first weekend with an eye patch, barely able to get words out, and I have a translator. I'm having to repeat the words several times over, you know, and I faithfully made it through that week. And the second week, the weekend after, I had another engagement to go with the friends of ours, Rich and Linda Brink, and some leaders and business people on a revival tour of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and some revival centers, kind of like in our backyard in this region. And one of the churches that we went to was a church of one... One, one, of the, one of the significant revivalists, William Tennant, it was his church. And we were going to have communion. This was like the end of our tour for the day. And we were in this church. And the plan was that we would all share communion while we were in the church. You see, this was um, William Tennant's church. But as Rich was explaining what's going on, he says, look, we have this wooden table here before us. And we're going to have, this is another revivalist, David Brainerd's actual communion table that was used during those times of first great awakening revival moments. And when God was sweeping through this region, this was a very table that he served communion out of. And so I was listening to the story and towards the end, I was intrigued. I had a patch on my eye, can barely talk, you know, I was sitting in the back and I said, hey, is there a reason why David Brainerd's communion table is in William Tennant's church? And he says, oh, that's a really good question. Unlike many of the revivalists of that day, there was something unique about this relationship between these two revivalists that so much so that David Brainerd is buried where William Tennant used to minister. And William Tennant is buried where David Brainerd used to minister. And they shared in God together for the full measure, so much so that his commun very communion table is now at William Tennant's church. When I heard this story, I'm sitting in the back, my face, because of stress, stress from a broken relationship, I just began to encounter the love of God, hearing the beauty of another covenant story that happened years before, and I get to participate in this communion table. The Lord encounters me powerfully. I'm sitting in the back, tears streaming down my face, 
partly because of the pain of my lost friendship and relationship, but also the joy that there is still pure, glorious covenant relationships between brothers and sisters that God is still working through on the earth. And God was just encountering me and filling me and, you know, ministering to me. We, we all end up having communion together. And uh, so I have a couple more pictures. Go to the, the, the picture right before this. So this was me. This was my face. On the morning of that revival, we were up on a mountain, and I'm sh sending a video to a friend of mine. Again, this is very vulnerable for, for, for me to show this picture. That's one side of my face that's not working, one eyelid that's not working. I can barely speak. You can see me str like struggling to speak out of one corner of my mouth. And this picture, a few hours later, right after communion, you can show the last picture. I'm at David Brainerd's, just haven't had communion at this table, just having had encountered the Lord, hearing the story after receiving bread and wine in the body and it, it communing with God out of this encounter, the Lord begins to heal me. You can see the, the transformation of my face. I didn't realize that I had received that much healing till we walked out of the church and, my, and, and Linda, who was, who was leading the tour, she said, Chani, you're Face looks different. It looks glorious. You know, if you know Linda, everything is glorious for Linda because she's just an amazing, amazing spiritual mama. And, you know, I said, oh, thanks, Linda. You're so kind. And I keep walking. And, and Rich comes to me and he says, Shandy, I don't know if it's just me, but your face looks completely different. You look like, you look much better. I'm like, oh, thank you, Rich. You know, it wasn't until the next day that I realized that God had started to encounter me through the table to receive healing in an area of brokenness. So where, whatever broken relationship that you have in your, in your life, maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's one of your children that have just, you have, you have understood the pain of that almost like a sacrifice because of the call of God on your own life or whatever, however you've been able to understand loss and pain and brokenness and grief. In God, we get to become the fragrance of Christ for many. So if you're in that place of brokenness in whatever area of your life, let us come to this table together. Let us flip the script on our own brokenness and, and, and lift up our own bodies to him as we lift up this bread and say, God, out of the brokenness of my life, do a glorious thing. You see, in the account of the, the words of institution that we read all the time, Jesus could have instituted the Lord's Supper on the Mount of Beatitudes when he was sharing profound teaching. He could have, he could have shared the bread and wine when he had fed 5,000 people. He could have shared bread and wine when he had raised Lazarus from the dead. But you know when he chose to reveal this communion table? And this is what we say every time we have communion. The words of institution begins with this. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, He's flipping the script of his great, the greatest betrayal in the history of mankind. He flips the script on that pain. Can you imagine the pain of his betrayal? I have had betrayal in my life, and it's very difficult to handle it. I cannot imagine the weight of the world's betrayal on his shoulder. And it's in that moment of brokenness that he says, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And if you have your bread with you, lift it up with me. And when he had given thanks, he, he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that in you, you make all things beautiful. Our, our brokenness, God, the, the areas of pain and grief and sorrow, of lack, insufficiency, God, you make those moments so beautiful in you. We ask that you would take our lives. Let all the strengths of our life find its rest and peace in you. And let all the brokenness of our lives be mended and be made whole in you. And, and give it meaning and, and beauty and understanding that only you can. Things and areas in our life that are so messy, we can't even make head or tail of it. God, we present it to you and we say, come and breathe your life into those areas of our lives. All of our weaknesses, let it be carried in, in you, God. All of our strengths, all of our victories, let it find their peace in you and not the strength of our own understanding. We give all that we are in this moment, God, and we participate with you. May we become the fragrance of Christ as we participate in this bread for 2022. I pray for all of our families that we as a company, we as a church, will be the fragrance of Christ around us, where we work, where we live, in our schools, for the city of Harrisburg, wherever you're watching from, from your town and from for your city. For our nation, we ask for mercy, God. And as we commune with you, let us become that remnant that still carries the fragrance of Christ. Take and eat the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord. In the same manner, man, I'm wrecked every time. I want my heart to be so tender at this table every time. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it. All of the ceremonies in scripture have its appointed time whether it's a weekly Shabbat or a seasonal celebration or the feasts, the feasts of the Lord that is celebrated, Easter and Christmas that we celebrate culturally as well. All of those have appointed times, but this, he says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood that was poured out for us. We participate fully. We ask that the life of Christ would course through our body, and we become a source of life for many around us. Take and drink the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. If there's any need in your body for healing, as was my experience, I pray that he would touch you. I pray that he would encounter you. I pray that as you participate in the Holy Eucharist, the Holy Communion, this table, that he would heal your bodies. In Jesus' name, if there's any need, just lay your hands on it right now as we're having communion together. Lay hands on that area of your body that need healing. If you have family members around you, come on, let's gather around that person. Let's believe the Lord for a supernatural transaction in this moment. This is not merely symbol. This is the essence of his life, his fragrance now available for us. So I bless you with the healing virtue of God for every need. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, friends, be blessed for the rest of the week. Hopefully we'll be able to gather next week 
and let this message of the communion be deep in your family, personal, from house to house, home to home, family to family. We love you. God bless you. Happy New Year.